For, for the money you signed for here, do you think the biggest issue teams have with you is is injury or character issues from what you've dealt with and learned? Oh, you know, it could be uh, um, Good morning and welcome to episode 144 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from BaseballPerspectives.com. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh. We're joined today by Paul Spohr to talk about the Philadelphia Phillies. And after that, uh, Pete Barrett will talk to Jim Salisbury of CSN Philly. Um, how are you guys doing? Okay, great. Oh, good. Thanks for coming back, Paul. Not a problem. I was wondering if I could get you know, co-hosting credit kind of on the logo. I don't know if your names are on the logo, but you're, I figure uh, at some point I should be on there. Getting to that. You're point. featured player, I think. You're like, <laughs> uh, you're like Jay Moore in his one season on SNL. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so Paul, the Phillies, I believe, led the majors in wins in 2011. Uh, they're a very expensive team, and yet they're – Probably it seems to me not going to be a very good team, or at least I, I don't get the sense that people expect them to be a very good team. Um, is there a lesson here that, that other teams can learn, or is this just uh, a pretty simple story about cycles? I think it is a decent story about cycles. It, wouldn't this be best-case scenario of what Houston was trying to do when they kept, uh, you know, the, obviously, again, best-case scenario because they started with so many stars, but they're kind of trying to keep it together. And I think even if they are not that good this year, but they're kind of good and say maybe there's another big injury like there was with Halliday, uh, they'll say, okay, well, hey, we had another injury, but we can go again. And and they'll probably put off the, the rebuilding cycle the way the Astros did for, for more years than they should. Obviously, they're not quite at the end yet when you've got three legitimate aces. And, and I know you guys have had the discussion about what a true ace is. And we I think we can all agree that those are three actual aces on the team. Uh, two former MVPs, whether they both deserved it or not, they're both great players uh, at their peak. And a third who probably deserved an MVP more, which would be Chase Utley out of uh, he, Rollins, and Ryan Howard. I guess there's a reason to keep going, but I just named the six best players, and man, it takes a while to get to number seven in terms of the talent spectrum, uh, depending on how, how highly you would rate a reliever uh, like John Papelbon, because you know he's their next best. And then it just gets really, really ugly. So uh, I agree with you. This isn't a very good team. But they're in, the, they're in the back end of a cycle, and this is kind of what you pay for in some instances, depending on how you do it. And and right now they, they, they chose to sell off farm for a great cycle, so I don't think any of their fans can necessarily complain when it finally comes to an end. You're really downplaying the impact of Eric Kratz here. Sam, and, Sam and wrote that's, an well, entire article. Me. About what about Chooch, though? You did you did ignore Chooch. <laughs> I, I did ignore Chooch. Yeah, he is going to miss 25 games, which, you know, it is, is a bit, but nothing crazy. Um, yeah, I should probably put him up above Pavel Bond, but he'd still be a cut below the other guys. Uh, and if that's your fourth best offensive player, I, I just I'm a little nervous because I'm not sure that the power is going to stick. He's always been a good on base guy uh, who could take a walk. Although some of that was due to where he was batting when he first started, uh, he's definitely shown to be better lately. Uh, I, I like him all right, but you know, come on, this, this should not be a, a a core member of of a playoff team, and they're going to struggle to try to make the playoffs this year. I'm recording in a rainstorm. Is this disruptive to anybody? I think it's pretty cool, but it's nice. It's sort of atmospheric. Okay, so I figured you were cooking bacon. Um, you meant. <laughs> uh, you mentioned, uh, Howard, you mentioned Halliday, uh, both coming off down seasons. Um, what do you think is more likely, that 
Roy Halladay wins the Cy Young or that Ryan Howard makes an all-star team? I think it's more likely that Roy Halladay wins the batting title that, that, than <laughs> Ryan Howard making the all-star team. I, I, I don't see it. I mean, I, I kind of feel like last year was a frightening glimpse into the near future. And, I, and I'm talking with the 219 average and all. The power's always going to be there. This guy's, you know, he's going to hit for power uh, in 10 years if he's still playing. Jim Tomei still has power. You know, Jason Giambi still has power. But I'm not sure that we're even ever going to see the, the, the 265 guy that, that Ryan Howard was. I'm nervous about him for sure. Roy Halladay, I'm going to trust. He's got enough built-up credit for me to trust, and, and this kind of goes over to my, my other main focus, which is fantasy, where I'm still trusting him to, to be a stud. So I, I would definitely put him down uh, to receive way more accolades this year uh, than Ryan Howard if I had to bet my money on either. We debated on this show um, who was better right now, Cliff Lee or, or Roy Halladay. And, and at the time, Dakota had them essentially equal at about the fifth or sixth best pitcher in baseball. Do you, um, do you have an opinion? Uh, do you think fifth and sixth is about right? Do you think that one is higher, one is lower? I would have, I would have Lee a bit higher because I, I got I to build in a little bit for, for what we're coming off of and the fact that Halladay's 36. I do have confidence in him, so I'm still keeping him very high either right in the top 10 or just out of it. I haven't made my full rankings yet. And again, those are fantasy, so they're a little bit different. But when you're talking about the top pitchers, they usually kind of uh, line up with a, a, a top pitcher. For example, I don't really care that Felix Hernandez might not get wins, even though they're a fantasy category. I'll let that play out in the wash because he could still win 20 in a season, even if they only win 65. Um, but yeah, so I have them very close. But I've got I've got both Lee and Hamels a bit above Halliday for this year, but all three are just excellent. Is there a move that stands out to you as Amaro kind of running this team into the ground at some point? Is there is there a move that you look at and say that's why this team is in the predicament it's in now, or is it just sort of I mean, would it be more unusual if they had had that run of sustained success and managed to sustain it indefinitely? I mean, these things come to an end, presumably at some point. Was he kind of complicit in that or was it sort of inevitable? I I think part of it was inevitable. It's kind of easy to blame him. But when you're doing it this way, when you're going to go with a a core group that was kind of built of, of Hamill's, Howard, Utley, and Rollins, and that's great. I mean, who wouldn't kill for that, uh, you know, core four, to use a term we've heard before with regards to another team. But they had to supplement it somehow, and they wanted to supplement it quicker. So you go out and you make these trades. They made the first one for Lee, and then they and then they ended up purchasing him later, and then they made the trade for Halliday. I'm always going to be in favor of trading prospects for stud players. So none of these moves necessarily you know, I, I would look at and say, I cannot believe that he did that. He set this franchise back as a general process. It was going to set the franchise back once the, once the run was completed. So, uh, I, I don't blame him too heavily in terms of saying he's a bad GM. He wants to keep it going. And I kind of get that. I know you guys have talked about windows before and, and, you know, the validity of them. There are teams that can do it where you still have the the amazing farm system. I mean, everyone looks at what Texas is doing, what Tampa does, things like that. 
they weren't set up for that. And uh, unfortunately, their draft strategy isn't working out lately where they draft kind of high-end, toolsy, raw guys, and they try to they try to get a star out of it. Well, it hasn't worked with Don Brown, and then, you know, or, or yet at least, I should say, because he's only 25, there's still a chance. But then their farm system isn't great, so it, it's a lot of upside guys that they got to try to work out. So I, I, don't, I don't put it all on him, um, but it is going to end soon unless their farm just – blows up and brings forth a bunch of stars, which I don't see coming because it would take a lot of luck. Mm-hmm. I wrote something before last season about how old they were and how I felt that they couldn't compete and how I thought things would get pretty bad before they got better. And the response of Phillies fans, and I think generally the response of Phillies fans to that criticism or that point of view is that there is the the giant TV deal coming to save the day. Uh, oh. The current TV deal, I guess, with with Comcast expires at the end of 2015, yeah. and and the hope is that that is just going to bail the Phillies out of this. I guess if they can kind of limp to that point, at at that point they won't have to worry about money anymore. They can just become the the NL East Dodgers and and buy a bunch of good players and be good again. Do you think that's realistic? And do you think that they can? get there without suffering a a really bad year or two or is it going to get ugly before it gets better i think this year could reasonably be ugly as much as i like the three aces i mean you can give me a a range of scenarios with them uh on the high end and the low end and i and i probably can't uh overwhelmingly critique either of them because you can say the pitching gets hot because even even their their four or five aren't too bad for four or fives. That's Kyle Kendrick and John Lannon. You know they're not great, but when you've got those three at the front with Halliday Lee and Hamels, that can cover up a lot of holes. And then you can conjure up a scenario: Howard does come back, and I'm wrong. Utley stays healthy all year. Revere is amazing on defense and solid with the bat. And Rollins was already already good. He was really good last year and just stays good. Okay, all of a sudden they're they're messing around and competing as maybe the Braves and Nats come back. Or you could say that team is super old, as you said they were last year, and they still are. Uh, Howard doesn't come back. He is what he was last year, but almost for a full season. Utley gets hurt again. One of the aces gets hurt. And all of a sudden, you're looking at 75 wins and his trouble. So um, in terms of the strategy of, hey, let's get several millions of dollars here from, from a TV deal and just paper over everything, that doesn't make any sense to me. That doesn't mean it won't happen. But my question would be, who are they going to buy? what's coming down the pike that says uh, that they're going to be able to buy? I mean, we, we're kind of in a new culture now where there aren't tons of great free agents available anyway. And even if they are going to be available, you're going to have to compete with others because, as you, you already mentioned, one of the teams, the Dodgers, they're not the only ones with a TV deal. So if you're going to have to be facing off against other teams, there's no guarantees that you're even going to get the guys. So if that's your strategy going in, then I, then I would turn around and shift blame to Ruben Amaro and say – you're, you're taking the wrong tact for sure. Uh, at some point here, depending on how this season goes, they need to start to look uh, at, at rebuilding it. You know, you keep you keep Hamels around, let him be the ace presence, because uh, I know he just signed that huge deal. But then you can start trading pieces again if it doesn't work out. And that would include somebody like Cliff Lee, who I know signed for a while. They have to understand when to pull the plug. And if they can't stay you know, relatively competitive this year. Obviously, they got to stay healthy, uh, but if they can't compete on some level, then you got to realize it's over. Because the Nats are an amazing team, and the Braves are a damn good team as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, two of the transactions this this winter that generated probably the the most 
snark per player uh, yeah. of all were the Michael Young deal and the Delman Young deal. Ironically named. <laughs> right. Uh, is there any rationale? What do you think the Phillies thought they were getting here? What, what do you think their rationale was? And is there any way these these deals work out in on, on some level? And you could throw I, uni in there too. Yeah, sure. Like. <laughs> as, as much snark as they got, I think a lot of it was mis, misplaced. They gave a, a minor league reliever and a major league reliever for Michael Young. Mm-hmm. Who cares? They needed a third baseman. He was not good last year. I, I will grant that. I mean, it's right there in the numbers. I, I can't go against it. But there were four, uh, two really good years and a solid year before that. I think there's a reason to believe that regression back up to the mean uh, is in order here. And, and they didn't give up much to do it. So why, why not? I believe Texas is also paying a good bit. So it's not like they're overpaying him either. And then with Delman Young, he was uh, $750,000. Okay. The, the only thing – the reason it would, if it would work perfectly if uh, – and obviously things change now because he's not going to be healthy to start the season. But if he was healthy to start the season, if they used him as a platoon player – it would have been a great move. It, all, all the snark aside about his off the field incidences and, you know, he, he's made some big mistakes. I'm not going to discount those because they're, they're not to be discounted. But an on the field guy, he can hit lefties for $750,000. If that's how they chose to use him, that'd be great. Then that's where you get back into do you blame Ruben Amaro in the deployment? If he brought him in to be a full time player ahead of a Dominic Brown or even a Darren Ruff, who I don't necessarily believe in. You know, as a 25-year-old exploding at Double A, that's that's not really a major prospect. But right. give it a My shot. My next question it's, is going to be, what what are those two guys? You, you've got to see what you what you have with them. That that that's the thing. So neither move really deserved as much snark as it got because the investments were actually rather wise, to be honest. What were they going to get at third base? They needed a third baseman. You're not going to go with Placido Polanco again. That wasn't working. And again, you can expect a dead cat bounce out of Michael Young. Okay. The deployment of Delman Young will determine whether or not it's a good or bad move. But even if he does play too much and sucks, $750,000. So it it, it could be a bad move because you're blocking somebody. But I'll let you ask the next question and talk about those two guys. So, yeah, what do you think of Dominic Brown and Darren Ruff? It's not like Dominic Brown's been all that good. So what exactly <laughs> is Delman Young blocking? You know, I, I, I happen to like Dominic Brown. I'd love to see him get uh, a, a, a real full shot. You're talking 210 plate appearances have, has been his max. Actually, 212 last year, 210 the year before. Uh, that's not much. We, we, we know that. that. That's not really – and I think a lot of times they were scattered samples too to get to those 200-ish plate appearances. So if he just got a full season, I'd like to see what he could do. But at the same time, he does have almost a full season when you smush all three together, and it hasn't been special. It's been, it's been a 703 OPS. So, you know, Delman Young is actually better than that. And again, he's seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. He isn't much better than that. He wasn't better than that last year. Um, but you know, it's not like they were blocking Oscar Tavares for crying out loud. So uh, 
I, I get why people wanted to hate on both of those moves because it's easy. You, you know, what do they, they call it? Low-hanging fruit? You know, way, way to go, Internet. You, you attack the low-hanging fruit again. And, <laughs> and I, I get it because some of it was funny, and I'm, I'm not even, you know, blasting on, on people at large. But in the end, it was kind of like, okay, you, you made fun of Delman Young. He makes fun of himself. He looks like the dad from Family Matters out there for crying out loud. I mean, do we really need your added jokes, everybody? <laughs> wow, Delman's biggest defender, Paul Sporer. Well, I, I, I always Delman's have biggest defender just compared him to Reginald Bell Johnson, <laughs> but he is his biggest defender. Uh, if Jason Collette listens to this, he'll he'll smile knowingly because I I always have been his biggest defender, at least in terms of uh, as a player. Again, I don't want to uh, be lumped in as defending his off the field actions or even on the field when he threw a bat at an umpire, um, or his drunken tirades. I, I don't want to be confused there, but I have, I have always, Hey, look what he did for my tigers in the playoffs. I have to have at least some sort of a soft spot for him. Uh, but and he's got tons of soft spots all over his body mm-hmm. because he's fat is what I'm saying, guys. Got it. He's fat. Got it. Um, I guess we've come to prediction time. Oh man. You ready for this one? Mm-hmm. 78 games. It's not going to be that good. <laughs> I mean, like I said, you can you can envision the scenario. I could give you a million what ifs where, uh, you know, two two of Washington's aces go down and and Harper, you know, realizes that the majors are are more difficult than he made them look last year, and, and the Braves just don't work out, and then all of a sudden they they eke out a division at 89 wins. But that's not going to happen. It's just not. Um, most of those wins will be generated on the arms of, of their three studs. And, you know, they'll have decent pitching. Even the bullpen isn't too bad. But I just don't think they're going to score enough runs. And, and the simple fact is it's less about them than it is their two chief competitors in Washington and Atlanta. If they were in a different division, even even the NL Central, and I, although I do really like Cincy and St. Louis, so I'm not even sure. But throw them in, in, in my favorite team's division with, with the Tigers. If that was their chief rival there and they're going head to head with them, uh, they might mess around and do something there. You know, I think they'd have a much better chance beating up on KC, Minnesota, Cleveland, even though I do like Cleveland a decent bit, um, and Chicago, you know, and, and take my Tigers out. If, the, if that was their division, it'd be something different. But the, the fact that they're facing two of the best teams in all of baseball with this old broken down roster, it's going to be really tough. It's going to be real. Unless Eric Kratz. <laughs> can have an MVP season I'm not gonna put I'm not, not gonna say out. he won't mm-hmm. I'm not ruling that out I refuse to do it guys so don't ask me to rule it out all right uh well thank you Paul for for carrying this team preview series uh I, I happy to help and I think that's it for me I, I didn't write anything yeah. else yeah you you could have taken on a chapter or two more really I mean I, you know if they if they'd have let me mm-hmm. I'd have been all over the NL West mm-hmm well, have you considered doing your own podcast? I think you should do that. <laughs> I, I have one, yes, and I, yes. I often I often talk or, or mm-hmm. ramble uh, for uh, over two hours. Mm-hmm. Just had our recent our last episode went up today. Jason put it up. He he was out sick for this one. I had new fantasy baseball edition Mike Gianella as my co-host. Mm-hmm. So check that out. Yes, people check should that listen out. to that. All right, uh, we're done. For today, we're done with the Phillies, and uh, after the intro, you will hear Pete Barrett talking to Jim Salisbury from csnphilly.com. It may still be winter, but baseball prospectus is ready to play ball. Pete Barrett is taking you around the league 
with 30 insiders who cover Major League Baseball. Step into the box. The squeeze is on. And welcome to The Squeeze. I'm Pete Barrett, and joining me to talk Phillies baseball is Jim Salisbury of CSNPhilly.com. Jim, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Oh, you're very welcome, Pete. Happy to be with you. Jim, I know you had a busy day today in Clearwater. What's going on in Phillies camp? Wow. Um, you know, it's kind of quiet in that the last couple of years it's been um, busy, you know, with basically Chase Utley's knees. That's been a drama that has hovered over the last couple camps. Uh, last year, uh, Roy, Halliday's, uh, Roy Halliday began to show some wear and tear in camp. That kind of hovered over the 2012 camp a little bit. Uh, this year, Utley has been on the field. He's uh, at least right now looking healthy. The two tests will come if he actually plays in a spring training game for the first time in a couple of years. But uh, he believes that he's got his knee problems under control. Halliday is throwing bullpens and feeling good after a long winter of um, strengthening you know, his core and whatnot. So uh, the biggest issue, I guess, in Philly's camp is uh, will they be healthy, uh, healthy enough to put their big guns on the field? And, you know, after just a week or so in camp, those guys are looking healthy, but the truer test will come down the road. Yeah, we'll see how it shakes out. Um, you, you mentioned some hot topics in Phillies camp, but on more of the national stage, it seems like the Phillies are kind of flying a little bit under the radar with the buzz of the Nationals and what they accomplished last year and the talent the Braves acquired with the Upton brothers this offseason. The Phillies are, are, are not getting that much attention. Of course, they still have the big three in the rotation with Halliday, Lee, and Hamels. What do you foresee as the ceiling for this Phillies team? Well, I think you're right. Uh, they definitely seem to be flying under the radar a bit, you know. And probably rightfully so. They were a 500 team last year. But I think there were a lot of reasons for that. Uh, certainly one of them was uh, they had a dreadfully slow start. And uh, that was definitely impacted by not having, um, you know, Howard Nutley. And then Halliday was subpar. And then eventually went on the DL in May. Uh, but I sense they kind of uh, don't mind being under the radar a little bit. Uh, I think uh, I sense a very resolute, serious bunch that, uh, especially you know guys like Utley and Halliday, they're they're just so focused, and I think it rubs off on everybody. And you know I think I think they missed not playing October baseball this year. And uh, if they're healthy, uh, I realize they have a lot of ifs. They they really do. They have probably more ifs than any team in baseball. But if those ifs turn out to be uh, positives uh, are answered in the positives, uh, then I, I really do believe they can contend and make an interesting summer. Yeah, and it's not like the Phillies didn't make any moves. They made a couple. Um, Michael Young, Ben Revere, both coming into the Phillies acquired via trade. Which do you think was a more important offseason move for the Phillies to make? Probably, well, they needed a center fielder. Um, the, the, the thing on Revere is, I thought they gave up two pretty good chips in Worley and uh, Trevor May for him. And the best I can tell is Ben Revere was about their fifth choice. He's a guy who doesn't really walk. He doesn't really – he doesn't hit for any pop at all. He um, doesn't have a terrific on-base percentage. doesn't have a terrific arm at all. Uh, he can run down balls. Uh, I know they wanted to get a guy who could run down some balls. Uh, so the jury is kind of out on that one. Michael Young made a lot of sense in some ways because he's only got one year left on his deal. 
and they didn't really want to block a kid named Kobayashi that they have coming in the minors. They think could be their first homegrown third baseman uh, since Scott Rowland. Um, Young's got a great track record. If 2012 was just an aberration and not the start of a decline, uh, I think he could be a really handy right-handed bat for them in the number two hole. Uh, maybe, maybe in the middle of the order, we'll see. Uh, I, I tend to think he's got a little bit left, uh, a little something to prove after a really down, down season in 2012. Uh, and the move, you know, you didn't mention was um, Mike Adams. I, I really like that move because the eighth inning uh, was, was a real sinkhole for them last year. They blew 13 leads in the eighth inning, and over the last five or six years, he's pretty much been the best eighth inning man in baseball. I know he had some health issues last year. He's coming off that uh, thoracic outlet syndrome corrective surgery. But all indications are he's going to bounce back from that. Uh, he's throwing the heck out of it here in camp. And um, if he can plug up that eighth inning, uh, if they didn't blow 13 leads last year in the eighth inning, they might have been in that wild card hunt a lot more seriously than they were. So I think Adams is a heck of a pickup. Yeah, Adams, uh, it'll be interesting to see if he and Papelbon can combine to make uh, formidable eighth and ninth like the Braves have with Kimbrell and Venters. Uh, it seems like Dominic Brown, his ceiling may have changed. At least this is my opinion as an outsider. Um, since he's gotten his major league experience, it seems like we're expecting less and less from him. Is his ceiling still that high? I think he's got a good ceiling. Um, you know, uh, he's, he's got excellent tools. Um, but, you know, he hasn't put it together in his chances. That said, he has shown, you know, uh, glimpses of being, you know, a major leaguer. He's got pretty good, pretty good play discipline. Um, you know, he runs pretty well. Uh, I just think it's a matter of he needs to get comfortable. Uh, he probably just needs to say, you know, this is my job and uh, kind of let his natural ability take over. Uh, that said, you know, I don't know if he's going to get that chance. He's got to kind of earn it here in spring training. Uh, he's going up against Darren Ruff kind of in a, in a competition for the left field job. Um, you know, the competition might not be as intense as, um, you know, we initially thought because Delman Young won't be ready for opening day. They hope he's going to be eventually their right fielder. So there might be room for both guys. Um, but do I sense some doubt uh, in people's mind about Dominic Brown? Yeah, a little bit probably. Um, you know, he was once their golden prospect and untouchable. And um, the fact that, you know, last year, uh, even the summer before, they were willing to part with him in certain deals. Uh, we tell you where they stand. But uh, he's only 24, 25 years old. He's still got time to uh, put it together. We're talking Phillies baseball with Jim Salisbury, Phillies insider for CSNPhilly.com. Carlos Ruiz is going to miss the first 25 games of the season because he's suspended. How does that affect his spring? Well, he, he can play in spring training games. That said, I don't think he'll play in many of them because they need to get Eric Kratz and Humberto Quintero ready to open the season. Uh, Kratz, I believe, will be your opening day guy, your everyday guy for the first 25 games. Ruiz will get at bats, probably a lot of them at the minor league complex. Um, you know, and you know, coming into the season, he, he hit what 325 last year, I think, which is like 50 points above his career average. I'm just not sure he's that hitter. Uh, I think we'll see him drift back toward more his career norms a little bit this year. Um, but you know, that said, I still think he can be. Um, I still think he's grown as a hitter. He can be a valuable guy um, in the sixth or seventh 
hole in their lineup. The biggest thing he does is, um, you know, the, the pitchers have great, great rapport and great trust with this guy. Really, they're, they're a good team. Uh, and, you know, that's the biggest thing he brings to that, this team. So he's in the last year of his contract. So, um, you know, as long as he does a good job with that staff, I still think, even though there's questions about Holiday, I still think it's a pitching-based team. Uh, so catch is very valuable, very important. And defense is very important. They took a real big step last, back last year in defense, a big step back. So, uh, and they have question marks at both corner outfield spots and third base defensively. So um, defense will be an issue for this team, could be an issue, something you need to watch. Absolutely. Um, one thing I noticed, obviously you're a longtime print media reporter, 13 years you spent at the Philadelphia Inquirer. You made the switch to CSN Philly last year, I believe. What, what's the difference in terms of your reporting? Is there a difference? Well, you know, I, I am a longtime newspaper guy. Um, the difference is, you know, working for Comcast uh, and CSNPhilly.com, you know, we're more multimedia than newspaper. Um, we do a lot of video, a lot of TV, and write on the website. I guess that would be the biggest difference. Um, but other than that, you still report. You try to keep your eyes open, uh, try and find news, um, try to find interesting stories, and uh, tell the fans what's going on with their ball club. You know, yeah. What the team is trying to do to uh, what the team is trying to do to win a championship. Trying to tell the fans that. I don't want to make this too big an issue if it doesn't exist, but we saw one um, longtime Philadelphia coach, Andy Reid, lose his job recently. Is there any kind of pressure for Charlie Manuel to perform, and could his job potentially be on the line at the end of the season? Yeah, well, I mean, that's a, you know, that's a, a an issue um, in that Charlie is entering the final year of his contract. He's in the final year of his contract. Two years ago, he was also entering the final year of his contract. We were here in Clearwater. And uh, there was urgency on his part, on the part of his agent, to try to get an extension. He eventually got that extension. Two-year extension at the time. He and team officials both said uh, this is a two-year contract extension that will take Charlie to close to his 70th birthday, at which point he's going to look around and take stock of his life and his uh, career. And Charlie said that himself at the press conference. Uh, so there, there, there is no urgency on Charlie's side, nor the team's side, to get an extension done here in spring training of 2012. And you know, I don't sense there will be any urgency during the year. Charlie seems content to ride this thing out. I think there's a chance he could retire. I think there's a chance if uh, they have a parade down Broad Street, he pushes for another contract extension. Uh, so it's kind of uncertain, um, but. He seems in a good place. He seems content. He's very focused on winning. And like I said, I still personally think there's a chance he may call it a career after this year. I don't think he wants to come into camp and say that, create the impression that he's coasting. I, I think he wants to come in, into camp and let people know he's still as vibrant as ever and, and still as focused on winning as ever. And uh, But there's a very real possibility that after this year they'll transition to somebody like Ryan Sandberg. So uh, Charlie's been the most successful Phillies manager ever. Um, you know, in May, I think he'll pass Gene Mock for the most games managed in Phillies history. He's already got the most wins in Phillies history, five division titles, two pennants in a World Series. His record speaks for itself. Uh, but all here is end, and, and his could end after this season. Uh, doesn't mean he's not going to be a Philly anymore. 
I think he will graduate to kind of the revered status of a Paul Owens and of a Dallas Green. Uh, but, you know, we could be looking at a different manager in a year. You can follow Jim on Twitter at CSN. Jim, thanks so much for joining us. Enjoy your time in Clearwater, and we'll be tracking your coverage throughout the season. Okay, thank you, Pete.